Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you are aware of our situation and you know the circumstance that we're facing. You understand what we try to hide when we talk to other people. You know how much we need you and how much your love can cover a multitude of sins. And Father, we just thank you because you care about our deepest hurts. You care about our next steps. And Father, you care about the relationships that we have or the ones we long for, the ones we've always desired. And Father, we thank you because we can come to you and ask for your help. We thank you that you are strong enough and wise enough to give us your wisdom and your grace. We thank you, Jesus, for this morning. We pray for those that are battling disease or injury, that are struggling with mental health, that are discouraged, that are uncertain about how to move forward. We thank you, God, because you are here, you are with them, that you and your presence are speaking and wooing and letting people know of your great love, of your mission and plan for their life. Let them, let us passionately embrace you and say yes to you. We thank you, Father, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And we continue to uh, pray for those that uh, are struggling, that those um, are in transition, whether moving or trying to figure out the next steps. Uh, Pray for those that have children that are going off to college. Pray for those that are trying to figure out uh, what are we supposed to be doing. And I think in Micah, it says to uh, walk humbly. Uh, Now I'm going to mess it up, but uh, to do what's right to walk humbly uh, before our God. And I think if we can reduce everything to just trusting Jesus and being humble, that's going to help us in many, many ways. Um, We do thank you for your continued giving, uh, tithes and offerings. It certainly helps uh, the local church be effective. Uh, Some housekeeping issues, items, I guess. Uh, We did the report for the church and the first year of COVID, we had the best giving year ever in our local church. It was $145,000 given by our local church. It was unbelievable. And last year, it was down 15,000 from that, but we had enormous gifts from three people totaling $75,000 from three people that do not attend our church. And some might say, well, hey, that means more people who don't attend could be giving, and that'd be awesome. But we just look at finances, and we are down, and as much as I get concerned. I'm just reminded of, well, God has provided, he will provide. And I encourage you, if you're like, oh, Jeff, you're just asking for money. I'm just saying, hey, if God's asking you to tithe, then tithe. If you've never tithed, if you don't know what it's about, then let's get into a study and just figure out what God wants to do. Because I really believe it's not about us getting more. It's how can we give with so many people in need, whether it's gas prices, fuel prices, whatever the case might be, I think we can continue to be the church that gives because God's blessed us in those ways. So just be praying about some of those things.
Uh, as we continue today, it is Father's Day. So once more, we say Happy Father's Day. And Father's Day, it could be or should be or might be, but just not today, a time where you get pats on the back, you get hugs, you get high fives, you get, hey, you're doing an awesome job. Hey, you're the man. Hey, this is great. I can't wait. But as I prepared this, and maybe I was looking more at my own life of like, oh, I like a high five, but man, I'm just in the middle of like just moving forward. We go back to... Acts 1-1, what we talked about last week, an entire sermon on one verse, and now two weeks on one verse. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. This is Dr. Luke writing to his friend, I told you, Theo, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. And as I thought, Dr. Luke was talking to his friend, but how much more as a father, as a Christian man, should we be telling our children what Jesus began to do in our own lives? Jesus began to show me that he loved me, that he rescued me, that he has a plan for my life, that we can share that with our children. Uh, I don't believe Michael or Jay ever asked me, nor I don't think you should have. I don't know. They never asked like, so what was it like being adopted? Because I think we just kind of grew up and mom and dad were my mom and dad and we were fullers and it wasn't something that had to be explained. But perhaps if I did not have good godly Christian parents, there would have been a question of like, dad, are you disappointed you were adopted? Like, do you think you could have had a better life? And on this day, Father's Day, when so many times we want to celebrate fathers, we have to celebrate fathers, but also realize that there are those that did not grow up with a good father. They did not have a dad. They may have had somebody that was with their mom at some time, I have a good friend and uh, he was telling me as I was just mourning Jay going to college and Michael's already out there. He said, I know it's sad, but I'm divorced and my kids are in Canada and my ex-wife will not let me see them. I spoke with someone else this week and they said, yeah, Jeff, but I think you had a pretty good father. My dad, like he was never there. He wouldn't show up at my basketball games. He wouldn't mail me a birthday card. He was never there. So uh, at least you had a good dad. And I think if you were brought up in that, uh, that life, you would not want to share, but Dr. Luke, he wanted to share with his friend Theo what Jesus had began to do and teach in his life. And so we need to learn from people. We need to walk with others and we need to invest in someone. Learn from someone, walk with someone and invest in somebody. That's what Jesus' example was. That's why we are supposed to live. Whether you're a father or a Christian, a follower of Jesus, how can we be learning from someone, walking with someone and investing in just like Dr. Luke did with his friend Theo. I used to tell the kids they never knew what it meant. And sometimes my Jeffisms, I thought they were cool and maybe tweetable. And maybe you could write like a book about these Jeffisms. They're so wise. But I said, hey, Michael, more than Jay, I said, Michael, set the example. Don't be the example. He's like, dad, I don't get it. It's like, well, let me explain it. And if you have to explain it, maybe it's not the best sweep. But uh, set the example means you go and set the example. Be the positive example. Don't be the one the teacher says, oh, well, you know what Michael did last week? Don't do that. Don't be the bad example. So set the example. Don't be used as the poor example. And I think for us, we can understand as followers of Jesus how we can set the example for others to follow, for others to listen to. 
Acts was all about the spread and expansion of the church, the good news. This book of Acts was about how we could grow. It's what what people need to hear, that they aren't just condemned to hell because you don't know Jesus. And I was speaking with somebody, I can't remember who, but they were talking about sinners in the hands of an angry God and how he preached and how he just read it. And I think I'm glad that I don't just read the manuscript, but as it goes, as he read that sermon, people were holding on to the pews in front of him. And they actually had like the pillars kind of like this, but they were holding on because they were so scared that hell was going to open up. And because of their sin, they were going to go there. They were so overwhelmed with fear. And I think that is appropriate at times, but well, can I say it? Sometimes we try try to scare the hell out of people when God wants us to love the hell out of people. And we just want to say, hey, there's hell. You're sinners. You're bad. And we try to, and Jesus is saying, no, in my love, there's truth and grace. In my love, there's hope. There's freedom. In my love, there's conviction. This is how you need to live. And as Luke told Theo what Jesus did and what he taught. He taught him both about the grace and truth of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, As you should imitate me, just as I imitate Christ. In the uh, New Living or English Standard, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So dads, you might say, hey, happy Father's Day. Like, how encouraging is this? Hey, imitate God as you want your kids to imitate you. That's kind of a big task. That kind of seems like overwhelming. That seems like unrealistic. That seems like, oh, yeah, happy Father's Day. I'm glad I came today. You're just shaking the finger at me and telling me I'm not living up to what God wants me to do. And I'd say, no, God's calling us to be like him so that others will know that he loves them as much as he loves us. We go to Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. So if you bought into this, I'm careful how I say it, but I'm certainly against Christian nationalism, but I don't want you to think I'm not patriotic because I am patriotic, but I'll just say it, I guess. If you think the American dream is the only dream of success that leads you to a position where you need to go, you're wrong because if you want to be Jesus follower, you have to give up your own way, your own agenda. You can't be God's follower by saying, hey, God, I'm going after you. But first, I need to get rich. First, I need to get that wealth. I need to uh, provide for my family. First, I need to do it. First, I need to follow you, Jesus. So as I'm trying to provide for my family, it's not what I'm doing, but only through your strength can I do it effectively. Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me, follow Jesus. On this Father's Day, we want our children, we want our fellow Christians, we want our family members to know that we are on mission. We are going in a direction. We have a purpose. And it's not just because somebody told us to do something except for the fact Jesus said that I will abide and remain in you. I will give you life and give it abundantly. I will bring meaning to what seems hopeless. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So if you give up your dreams 
Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You give up your dreams to delight in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You give up your dreams to delight in him and what cre what he created you with, he's going to use that for his benefit. A quick side story I love to share. I'm looking at basketball players. There's a few basketball players, but I think I can still take no in a shooting competition. Probably not one-on-one. But uh, so when I was playing basketball in college, I had an opportunity to go to Ukraine to play. And I thought as a sophomore in college, being a little bit confident, maybe arrogant, maybe overcome. I thought they do have pro leagues in Ukraine. Like there are some guys that played in the NBA from Ukraine. Like, hey, maybe I could be seen by somebody. This would kind of be cool. It's going to be my coming out party. This is going to be awesome. And I can't wait to go play in Ukraine when, oh yeah, it's a mission trip. But yeah, we'll tell people about Jesus. But if I could just get seen by a scout, they could just call me Rudy and I'd be right there. First game, I'm warming up. And I look across the court and I'm like, Ukraine, they aren't like a basketball powerhouse, are they? Anybody know of like any uh, pro Ukraine? Well, anyway, the coach said go in. So yeah, I'm on the bench. So that's not a good thing if I want to see by a scout. I'm not even starting. But coach tells me to go in and I go up. I'm like, who are you guarding? And the coach's like, you need to know who he's guarding. It's like, I don't know. I'm not paying attention. Who are you guarding? So he tells me the number and I turn and it's this guy that's skinny and very tall very tall i may be 5'11 with like shoes and socks and extra socks and ankle braces and you know raised up this guy no lie six seven six foot seven inches and i turn and i look i'm like uh so much for a scout seeing me maybe the scout's gonna watch him like just me being terrible but and all of a sudden i just thought god like I love basketball. I would love to play professionally when I was 20. I just thought, like, that'd be so remarkable. It'd be so awesome. What a platform. But then I went to a Christian basketball camp, and the speaker, who did play a couple years professionally, he said, I learned if God could use a piece of leather filled with air, then he could use my life. And then Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, came to meaning. He came like, God, you gave me a desire for this sport, but now my desire is for you. So you're going to use what you created in me for your glory so I can coach, so I can help people, so I can be with people. So as we're playing a sport, as we find common ground, you are with me, you are in me, that we can intersect that. So as you lose your life, you're losing it so God can fill it. So what you love to do, God's going to use you in those ways. Romans 8, 1, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. No condemnation. If you profess to be a Christian, if you've asked Jesus into your life, if you believe that with all uh, your capacity, everything within you, you want to respond in obedience to God, you don't have to worry about God shaking your, his finger at you. God's like just bringing shame and guilt on you. God, he'll bring conviction, but God disciplines those he loves because he wants to bring you to a certain point of maturity. It's not punishment for no reason to say, oh, you're wrong and evil. Well, it was 1865 in Galveston, Texas, that there was a group of people that found out they were free. 
They were free and they were so excited. It was just like wonderful. Like, hey, we are free. We are not slaves anymore. This is so awesome. This is the best thing we could ever hear. Thank you for sharing this with us. But then there is a reality that in January of 1863, two and a half years earlier, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation that said slavery is outlawed. Slavery is banned. So there is two and a half years of being free but living as a slave. This is known as Juneteenth. This isn't me being woke. This is us just being brought up to history. But I thought this was so important for us to understand how long has we lived feeling as though I'm a Christian, but oh, I got to keep my head down. I better do the right thing. Oh, God, he's mad at me right now. It's, you're free. You don't have to wait two and a half years to figure out that God loves you no matter what, that you gave him your sins and he forgave you your sins. You don't have to worry about what happened. Oh, that's my past. And if anybody finds out, no, God loves you so much he covered it. We are free. Stop living as slaves. Stop living as those that are caught in bondage. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't say, hey, I have all the freedom as a Christian. I better be pretty legalistic, though, because I don't want to mess up. You know, God really loves me, but, oh, I can only love, love these people that are easy to love because I, I don't want to let God down by loving those people because you know how hard it is to love them. Like, they're really difficult. So if I don't even try to love them, I'm not letting God down. I could just focus on these that I, that I love. Going back to Matthew 16, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Going back to Father's Day, whether you had a dad like this or you know a father like this or perhaps you have become a dad like this where you just think health and wealth is what is worth living for. We miss, we miss what God wants to give. What does it mean to gain the whole world? Well, I'm looking at Solomon. Solomon wanted long life, wealth, vengeance, and honor. This is what Solomon wanted. He thought like, if I had all these things, if my enemy vengeance were put down, then I could be lifted up. This was what they thought was, this would be the pinnacle. This would be the peak, the apex of what it meant to have the world in your hands, but to lose your soul. What good is it? Luke telling his friend Theo about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Have you shared with, or who have you shared with, what Jesus has done in your life? The changes, like, I thought if I pursued this, that would bring me happiness. I thought if I received this, then I'd have great joy. I thought if I could just get more pats on the back. I thought if I had one of the fastest growing churches in central Vermont, then people would know who I am. I thought, like, if I get these things, or are we kind of holding some of these things back because we fear sharing our vulnerabilities? God uses our vulnerabilities to show that we are not perfect, that he cares about us, that he loves us. And as we share vulnerabilities with others, I truly believe they will say, oh, you're a church that actually has faults? It's like, oh, yeah, we have plenty of them. Instead of people saying, Jeff, I could never go to your church. How many times have you heard this? Have I heard this? If I went to your church, it would burn down because I've been so bad. 
It's like, well, that's why we meet at a school. Like they have the federal insurance. We're okay. So it's like, why do we think being vulnerable, being open about our struggles, the temptations, when really we're just saying, yes, I battled these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I struggled with these things, but God has helped me to overcome, learn from, walk with, invest in. Let's share these things with others. How? Well, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't do, uh, be doing what your sinful nature craves. New Living Translation, if you're old school like me. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then in 1 John, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And sometimes we think or we assume lust just means sexual lust. That's certainly part of it. That plays into it. But greed, if it's greed for power, if it's greed for wealth, if it's greed for notoriety, it's just greed. That's the lust of what I can get to make me feel better. And the world pass, passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. But let's go to a version that I can uh, read and not um, sound so poetic. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away. This world is fading away. This world is fading away. Along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So Dr. Luke would be telling his friend Theo, don't follow the cravings that you have, what people tell you are going to bring you success or bring you joy, but follow only what lasts forever, that is Jesus. What matters? Who matters? Your relationship with Jesus matters. And if you think, hey, I'm a Christian, it's good enough. Well, what does that good enough mean? Does it mean I'm a Christian, that's good enough because I'm constantly focused on pursuing Jesus? Yes, that's good enough. Is it good enough to say, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, so hey, who cares how I live? That's not good enough because the world will know us by our love. That's why it's so important we serve people, love God, serve people. Whether you're a father, whether you're a person, whether you're a Christian, this is what God calls us to do. Love him and serve others that they might know who he is. So in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Who are you telling about what Jesus began to do and teach in your life. Who have you shared your testimony with? That might be a great way to start is you look at somebody next to you or behind you and you say, hey, you look like somebody I could get along with. You don't look too creepy or I mean, I'm not like scared. We can certainly meet in a public place, but I would love to hear how you became a Christian. I'd love to hear what brought you to this church. I would love to hear. And instead of like holding it so close, so, well, I was pretty bad and Jesus saved me. It's like, man, I was seeking and searching for all the wrong things. I thought my hope would be fulfilled in this way. I was neglected by my dad, so I thought I could fill the void with this or that. You can share these stories with other people so they can know that God is for us and he helps us. And we can start by sharing with those in this safe place. If you just knock on some stranger's shoulder and say, hey, can I tell you my testimony? If you get punched in the nose, maybe you deserve it. 
But if you meet with somebody here that says, hey, we love you, we're here for you, we just want to know and be encouraged by your story, then that's a great way to tell about everything Jesus began to do and teach in your life. So Dr. Luke set us an example. Whether fathers, as we celebrate fathers, or those that profess to be followers of Jesus, what you're pursuing, is that what God wants you to pursue? Or does God need to remove it so you can pursue him and then those desires that he created you with, you understand how to use those for his glory, to bring honor to him, to know that he loves us so much. Luke was an eyewitness. He wasn't just an eyewitness, but he got to experience the truth of Jesus. And then he wanted to multiply. He wanted to invest in. He wanted to see that displayed in his friend, Theo. So salt and pepper, I think it's. When I worked at Top Notch when I was 19, I worked in the restaurant. And the head guy, Maitre D, is that what they're called? I don't know. The head restaurant guy, he said, always put the salt on the left and the pepper on the right because people say salt and pepper. They don't say pepper and salt. And I'm like, well, the Chinese read right to left, so maybe you're wrong. But anyway, I did not tell him that. But sometimes we know as Christians we are salt shakers. But if you have something in front of you and it is so bland and it just needs a little seasoning, it is just like uh, kind of tasteless and it just needs a little seasoning, what good does a salt shaker do if no one pours it out? And on that note, there are many different, does it show up? There are many different sizes and colors and shapes of salt, but all salt has a purpose, and that purpose is for seasoning or preserving. The salt, it has a specific purpose, but when God asks you to do something, the body of Christ made up of many different parts, we all have a purpose, and God wants us to be used of him, not to be held in a shaker, but to be poured out. To be poured out so the world will know that Jesus has done something in our lives, something that's worth sharing, not just worth keeping for ourselves. It's worth sharing. And this is what salt should be like. It should be used. And we are the salt because Jesus has given us his salvation. So on this Father's Day, we're going to close with a song that actually Jennifer Jakes, Jocks, I don't even know how to say her last name. Jennifer, whose daughter Riley, Raleigh, I messed that up, sorry, Raleigh, uh, comes and we just love them so much. But she shared this song and I just wanted to share it because I think it encapsulates the mission of the church. And if you're a dad and you're like, oh, I haven't done a good job, we can pray that God brings other Christians into our children's lives that no longer live with us. There is still great hope because God wants to answer our prayers. We can be the answer to someone's prayer and say, hey, they are praying for something to happen, but what if it's us that needs to open the door to share a meal? Deb Brown taught me that. We need to be and look for opportunities to be the answer to someone else's prayer. So we are the salt that God will use to bring correction but to bring great seasoning into people's life.